This is the first Sunday evening of the month of December, and as we normally do on the first Sunday evening, we will have lessons that are addressing questions that those of you in the congregation have asked. I would encourage you, if you have questions that you've been thinking about, uh, take one of those little visitor cards, flip it over on the back where it's uh, blank, and then uh, write your question down. You can hand it to me after the services or one of the elders, or if you want to email it, whatever, uh, so we can be able to have some questions uh, for our coming year. Sometimes these questions really force us to think. I think about the passage that Brother Jeff just read and how that Jesus was challenged by what authority he was doing these things. And the Lord's response was one that was really well crafted because what he did, he asked them, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they had to grapple with that question and say, well, now, if we say that it was from heaven, Jesus would say, why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you do what he said to do? You know, Luke 7 and verse 30 says, they rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. But if you will read a little bit further, you realize that they also said, but if we say from men, they feared the multitudes because they considered John a prophet. You see, sometimes when you answer a question, you have to think about the correct answer, but you also have to think about how the answer will be received. And so we have to think about some of these questions that are asked. Some of them are textual, some are topical, some are practical. Well, the two tonight actually overlap in the sense that they are both topical and they are practical. So without going any further, let's begin with our first question. Can we know that we are saved? If so, why do I still have doubts? You know, when I read a question like this, part of me feels really compassionate toward a person who is struggling with doubts in their minds. And yet, when you look at a question like this, you have to realize there's two questions that are in this, and they both need to be addressed. The first one is, can I know that I am saved? Now, here's what the Bible answer is going to say. Listen as we read 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He said, I've written to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. He doesn't use the word that you hope that you have eternal life. He didn't use the words that you suppose you have eternal life. John used a very specific word that indicates knowledge and understanding. He said, you can know that you have it. Oh, but if you read 1 John, you realize John uses that word frequently. 
For instance, in chapter 2, verse 3, by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Chapter 2, verse 5, but whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. Chapter 3, verse 19, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Chapter 3, verse 24. Now he who keeps commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And then in chapter 5, I want you to listen to verses 18 through 20. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who is born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and his Son, Jesus Christ, This is the true God and eternal life. I know that if you listen to those verses carefully, you have to say that John's point was we can know that we know God. We can know that we are forgiven of God. We can know that we have eternal life. But it wasn't just John who said that. In Romans 8 and verse 16, Paul would write, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now don't misread this verse. This doesn't say what many of the denominational world make it say. That His Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Our spirit reads God's Word. Our spirit comprehends what the Bible says, then we look at that and we pair that with what we ourselves know. And so there is a witness of the Scriptures and there is a witness of our lives and we can know that we are children of God. When Peter wrote his second letter, he was describing the kind of holiness that God wanted among His people. In verses 5 through 8, he talked about what we sometimes call the Christian graces. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and those so forth. But when you get to verses 10 and 11, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Your entrance will be abundantly supplied. There is, as it were, an open door for those who are God's children. But now I can hear some people saying, but Tony, that can't be right to say, I know I'm a child of God, and I know I'm going to heaven, and I know I'm saved, because... There's a lot of people who mistakenly think they are saved and they are not. In fact, I can go to the Bible and I can point out to you people who believe they are right with God and they're not right with God. 
This morning I made reference to Luke 18, verse 9. You know the passage about the Pharisee and the tax collector. He trusted in himself that he was righteous and he despised others. He said two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. But if you will notice verse 14 talking about the tax collector who beat himself on the breast and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He said in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. That tells me that the Pharisee, who thought that he was such a great man, thought he was so precious in God's sight, really was lost. Or you can go to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12. There's a generation that is pure in its own eyes and yet is not washed from its filthiness. Chapter 14, verse 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So if someone says, hey, I can be mistaken, I can be uh, misunderstand, and so I can't say I know I'm going to heaven. You remember what Jesus said in the great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Someone says, I can't say I know I'm saved because there have been people who said they know it and they were wrong. There is again the warning. Of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, which says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Paul said about himself in chapter 4, verse 4, For I know nothing against myself, and yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. So there is a sense in which someone says, You know, I know what you read there in 1 John 5. But I'm struggling with the fact that, that if I say I'm saved, I might be wrong about that. I might be confused. I might be mistaken. So then the second part of the question comes up. Why might a person have doubts? You know, if the Bible teaches I can know I'm saved, why am I struggling with doubts? Well, some are unsure if they have either done or not done what they were supposed to do. You know, there are things the Bible tells us to do. Sometimes we don't do those. Those are called sins of omission. Sometimes the Bible tells us not to do things and we do them. And that's called a sin of commission. And each of us find ourselves failing from time to time and a person says you know I'm certain I've said something I've done something that I ought not to have done and if I've done that then am I going to get to go to heaven can I say that I'm saved well part of this involves somebody not understanding the concept of grace that is presented in the Bible let me give you a couple of passages to start with that I think can open the idea Paul was writing the Ephesians. 
He wanted them to understand that they were not saved by their own merit. In other words, you can't do enough to overcome the sins that you've committed. It's not as if you've got a scale up here. You know the old scales of justice where you put a weight on one side and you put other things? Some people have this idea that if if somehow the scales tip a little bit more towards sin, we're lost. Or if the scales tip a little bit more toward righteousness, we're saved. Listen to Paul. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Anyone. You remember the Pharisee of Luke chapter 18 who boasted, he said, no, that's not what saved that man. In fact, the man who was a sinner who beat himself on the breast went down to his house justified. Listen to Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. What Paul said to both the Ephesians and to Titus is that you and I don't merit our salvation. Part of this also involves our understanding God's desire to save us. In Isaiah 64 verse 4, For since the beginning of the world men have not heard or perceived by the ear, nor has I seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. There's never been a God who acts on behalf of those people who wait for God, who says, okay, God, I am willing to listen, I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to do what you tell me to do. Romans 5.20 As Paul is describing the Jew who might think he was saved by his own works, he says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But don't miss the last part of verse 20. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. What Paul is saying is there's no one who cannot be forgiven by God of their sins because God's grace is so capable it can forgive the sin of every mankind, everyone of mankind. And so the Hebrew writer is looking at all of this and here's what he comes away with in Hebrews 4 verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All of those passages that I have just presented to you focus our minds on this. When it comes to me being saved, it is not about how great I am. 
It's how about how great God is and how great Jesus was and the giving of Himself for the forgiveness of our sins. And so a person says, okay, then I understand I can know I'm saved not because of how great I am, but because of what He has done in dying on the cross. But someone says, I'm still struggling. Here's my fear from talking with people. Sadly, some people are hoping God somehow will not count willful sins. They're sitting over here and they're saying, you know, I heard what you said, but somewhere in the background they're nursing these favorite sins. Things they know that are wrong, and yet they keep doing them. And they don't stop. And they keep practicing them. James 4 verse 17 says, Therefore to him who knows good and does not do it to him is sin, knows to do it and does not do it. Romans 14 23, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatsoever is not from faith is sin. 1 John 3, 20 and 21, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Boy, those two verses capture the idea of my judgment. If our heart condemns us, you know what that means? I know I did wrong. I know I sinned. My heart condemns me, he says. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. God knows what you're thinking. God knows your motivations. He said, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we've got some confidence. That's where you get the confidence, knowing that you are striving to the best of your ability to please God. Knowing what God requires and doing it will go a long way in driving out doubt. I didn't put it here, but part of the problem is we don't know God's Word well enough anymore. Frankly, let's be honest, we're not all reading the Bible like we ought to. We're letting someone else tell us what it says, what it believes. But it's different. If you open that book there and you begin to read it and you realize this applies to me. And I look and I see what God tells me to do. And if I'm doing it, good. If I'm not doing it, I need to change. Which leads me to question number two. And this one again makes me feel with compassion to the person who asked the question. Can I be forgiven if I've messed up very bad? That question reflects somebody who has a deep, penitent concern for the things they've done. Let me begin by pointing out that we frequently have the idea that some sins are more sinful than others. The truth is, there are some sins where we actually sort of act like they don't even exist. Gossip, you know. We don't, we, we sort of ask, that's like a, one of the sins that's okay. Greed. Covetousness. Well, uh, we, we'll let those slide by. 
But just like what's going on in the political realm right now with all these people who are being uh, exposed for their sexual misconduct, we look at those people and say, boy, that's the bad ones. Let me point out to you, a lot of times it's all about the perception that a person has of themselves. Sometimes we look at our sins and we think they're small. You remember again Luke chapter 18 verse 9? He spoke a parable to some of them who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. My sins are little sins. Your sins are big sins. Do you remember Jesus Matthew 7, verses 1 and following, Judge not that you be not judged. For what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And what measure you meet, it shall be measured back to you. And why do you behold your brother with this speck, this moat, a little bit of piece of sawdust in his eye? Behold, you have a, a beam, a plank, a log protruding out of your own eye. You see, the problem is is that we look at other people's sins, we magnify them while we minimize our own. And sometimes we get this idea, I have sinned badly because I've committed one of these sins, where we don't think we've sinned badly if we've committed one of these sins over here. Let me give you another illustration of it. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 and 37, there was, Jesus was invited to the home of a Pharisee. When he got there, Simon didn't wash his feet. He didn't do anything good for him. Here comes this woman in, and she starts crying at Jesus' feet. She's wetting his feet with her tears. She's drying his feet with her hair. Here's Simon's appraisal of it. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Oh, that's his idea. This woman, she's a sinner. Verse 47, Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Can I be forgiven if I've messed up very badly? Well, I'd say yes. This woman here had many sins. Little small fellow climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus passing by in Jericho. In Luke chapter 19, verse 7, Jesus said, I'm going to go to your house, Simon. He says, when they saw it, they complained. He's going to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Now, you know, Zacchaeus said, you know, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. If I've taken anything by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Zacchaeus was trying to do the very best job he knew how to do. And Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. Which includes Zacchaeus. And by the way, it includes you too. You go to such passages as 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to read the list, and you think about this list, and you think about which ones of these you consider to be the bad sins, and which are ones not so bad. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, 
nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, you listen to that list of folks, you think, yeah, those are folks, they don't belong in heaven with me. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. Oh, that's who you were. There are people like that were forgiven, and there are going to be people like that in heaven. James 2, verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, he's guilty of all. The truth is, can God forgive me if I've messed up badly? Can God forgive me if I commit one sin? And the answer is yes. Now, does that mean that some of us do not face some more alluring sins than others? No, there there's some of us who have to fight battles on a number of fronts. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Seeing we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. You may not be tempted by this, but you may be tempted by that. And each one of us has to lay aside that sin. There were some very gross sinners in the Bible that were forgiven. I can't think of anything much worse than a man who goes out and humbles another man's wife. But not only does he do that, he tries to cover up his sin and eventually has that man killed to cover up his sin. When Nathan the prophet was sent to David and told him, David, you're the man, here's what he said in verse 13. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. I messed up badly. Well, you probably have. But God can forgive you. Saul, also called Paul, was a persecutor, a murderer. He said, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. As I emphasized in our lesson this morning from chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, there's none that does good. There's no man who doesn't sin. Romans 3, 9 and 10, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 23. What counts if a person is truly penitent? A person who comes to God and he says, I bring God my broken life. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, if anyone sees a brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, He will ask and He will give Him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say He should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. There's a sin not leading to death. Oh, you mean there's one that if I commit this sin and I can be forgiven? Yeah. You know what sin that is? That's one a man will repent of. 
I know from Jeremiah chapter 7 and chapter 14 that God told Jeremiah not to pray for those people because they wouldn't repent. But if you sin, genuinely come to God in penitence, we can pray for one another. In fact, we're told to do that in James 5 verse 16. Luke 17, 3 and 4. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you and says, I repent, you shall forgive him. Because that's what God does for us. Acts 8, verse 22. Simon was told to repent, therefore, of your wickedness, and pray God that perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven you. It's important to understand that God wants to forgive us. Now, the two questions tonight related to forgiveness and knowing that a person is forgiven. And the truth is, according to 1 Timothy 2, 4, God would have all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The question that each of us have to answer is simply this. Am I saved? If you're not a Christian, you're not saved. If you're not a Christian, you have not had the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your sins. That's what those people on the day of Pentecost were doing when they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter's response was, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Acts 2, 37 and 38. And I've already emphasized what Simon was told to do, repent and to pray. If you need to respond to the Lord's call tonight, would you come as we stand and sing number 197.